I am daydreaming about dragons again. This is Judd. We are into episode six. Let's jump into it. I want to talk about world building. And that's because I listened to episode 25 of Plundergrounds, Ray Otis's Plundergrounds. Look out for rust monsters. He, uh, the episode is called uh, Creating a Themed World with Angus, which is a great title. And it is Ray and his GM of a game he's playing in, uh, Angus, talking about the, the world that they're currently playing in. And it is a Norse-inspired world. And Angus talks about his mother, who has a library background. So I'm applauding because I'm a librarian. And I, I'm, cheering, I'm cheering on a, a fellow librarian out there. And he's talking about doing lots of research. And I love it. And I'm nodding. And I'm also saying, oh, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about it. Uh, I want to talk about how much research you have to do. So Angus talked about reading a bunch of books and doing his doing his work, and that's awesome. So I want to let's talk about research for world building. Okay, there are two amounts of research you have to do: not so much, and all of it. Right? <laughs> the it's like that saying, uh, in order to make an apple pie, you have to first create the universe. Okay. It, um, so when, when, when they were talking about the Norse setting, it reminded me of the first book on Norse mythology that I read as a kid. And the first line of it slayed me. It was the world is made. The world was made of blood and ash. And I was hooked. I was like, all right, I am in. Let's do this. Here's the fact. If you're doing research, you can stop right there. I'm not saying that's all you want to read about Norse mythology. I'm saying that's all you have to read. That's enough. That is enough. The world is made of blood and ash. We have a magic system, right? All magic is done by either cutting something and making it bleed using your own blood or burning something and using what remains of it. Burning blood or burning a body. Oh my goodness. That's forbidden. It's not done. It's the most powerful magic known. Love it. Suddenly we've got something we can build off that. You can build a whole world just off that. Right. And, and what I like about finding a little segue like that, finding your in is from there you can build out of that, right? Suddenly you suddenly you don't have to just uh, suddenly it's not the whole of Norse mythology. People dedicate their whole life to studying Norse mythology. So by breaking it down, by finding the in for your world or for your bit of world building that you want to start with, it makes an insurmountable task, an apple pie, right? It makes the whole universe, find your apple pie, bake that apple pie, and then build the universe around that apple pie, right? Find your blood and ashes, and then go from there, rather than just trying to say, all right, it's going to be a Norse world. Uh, oh boy, I've got so much reading to do, right? Suddenly, oh my goodness. So, I mean, where would I go? I would, I would do blood and ashes. Great. I would make up my ma start making up my magic system, start thinking about families and clans and power bases and gods and goddesses, all based on blood and ashes, all of it. 
all of it. Some of it would have a Norse feel. Some of it wouldn't. Maybe we talked about the world tree. Maybe the world tree burned down. Maybe it's post-Ragnarok. I don't know. I don't know. We'd play with that. And then we I cherry pick my research. Cherry pick. Wouldn't do everything. Wouldn't do everything. Just I pick my moments. Pick my moments. You know? That way it's something that I can wrap my head around. Right? I remember reading something that uh there were uh textiles from India found in a in a Norse burial chamber. There we go. I want to know more about that. I want to know more about the old trade routes. The old trade routes. Blood, ashes, trade routes. Now we're cooking. Now we've got somewhere to start. So you don't have to build the whole world all at once. Right? Be careful about that. It's not... It's not I don't want you to get, if, if you're loving it and you're doing all the research in the world and you're just enjoying it, that's great. That's fantastic. So keep doing it. Whatever's working for you, keep doing. But if you're intimidated, take a step back, find your apple pie, right? Uh, I want to talk about a, a burning wheel game that I, I, I ran years ago, years and years ago. must have been six years ago. Goodness. And I started with two things. One was that the crime world was being taken over by a noble family. You know, the, 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 there used to be sorcerer kings in this city and they were starting to, they were starting to muscle into the crime. They were starting to fall and crumble and they were starting to take over the, the, the black market and the crime. Interesting. So we've got a, a conflict. That's the situation. The player characters made their, their their characters around that. And the other thing I did is I named the city Rose. And that be, and I did that because I was reading Black Company. And I was really into these single word evocative city names. And Rose was a good one, right? Because it 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 evokes, you know? And suddenly I had uh, I had something to build off of with that. You know, I, I said that the, the sorcerer kings who, who ruled the city had a garden pantheon. So then I could build off of that, you know, I, and I had this weird pantheon written up. The green man, the oak lady, the king and queen of thorns, the black orchid, the ravens of the world tree, chroniclers of the garden pantheon. Cool. Suddenly I've got something. And then I had this people who used to live in the city, who who the who the sorcerer kings uh, colonized, right? And they had beast temples. So suddenly I had kind of a, a pantheon that had been stepped on. And maybe the beast temples, they had the ravens of the world tree once, but then the garden, the, you know, the, the sorcerer kings kind of incorporated those folks into their pantheon, into the, into the garden. And then I had the beast temple, the, the saint of shepherds, the wolf goddess, the boar god, the holy stag, the hawk of sight, wind, and sky. There we go. You can build right off of that. So what I'm saying is, in world building, find your apple pie. Find your in. You know, you've got to create the universe. Absolutely. Find your lens. Don't feel like you have to make everything all at once. Right? You know, you can start with something really simple. Really simple. In this world, uh, 
winter can last decades. You know, there you go. In the north, they they prepare for winter. They they have words about that. It's called winter is coming. They've got a they've got a wolf on their as their sigil. Huh, heraldry is important. There you go. Build off that, right? And then suddenly it can get complicated from there. Find your apple pie. Build your universe. Find your little thing. You don't have to. You don't have to start big. Matter of fact, I recommend you don't start big. Start small. Start small. And there are a bunch of things that Ray mentions in his podcast. It's really worth mentioning. Source material research. I feel like I've talked about that a little bit. Collaborative invention. Um, leaving some white space on the map. Right. Leave some areas for the players to make some things up. Because if it's too much, then uh, there's no room for them to breathe. And then he talks about selecting bits of the D&D world that fit. It's a great podcast. Uh, I will put an ep- I'll put a link to the episode in the show notes. So it's there. Ray, thank you very much. Angus, thank you for talking about that. Thank you for inspiring me to talk about world building. One of my favorite topics. So I love talking about it. And, and find little evocative notches, little evocative apple pies. Build off that. All right. That'll be it for now. If you've got some world building that you started, tell me what your apple pies were. What, what did you start with? Where did you begin? What are your little handholds that you get so you can start building, a, start building the universe? Send them. Let me know. What, 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 what was evocative for you? Uh, and, and if you've got a good, if you've got good research methods, if you've got good things you use to do your research, hit me up with that too. All right. Uh, we've been talking for 10 minutes. I don't like to do anything more than 20. So we're going to rock out to the inspiration goat. Inspiration goat. What do you got for me? No. No. <laughs> Thank you, inspiration goat. And let's see what we've got here. This looks good. This is The Cavaliers of Mars by Rose Bailey. And it's a swashbuckling Martian science fantasy thing that I adore. And I just made a character. Uh, and I don't know exactly what the name would be. I think I would end up taking the word D'Artagnan from Three Musketeers and mixing up the letters Guntardan Guntarda Guntarda and Guntarda would be a uh, a young man from a tiny dust town uh, called Redwells who is traveling across all of Mars to pledge himself to the damsel Messiah because his mother served the damsel Messiah as uh, a missionary sister and retired and raised him and taught him how to use the sword. And so he is traveling across Mars, having adventures along the way to go to Bethlehem to pledge himself to the church of the damsel Messiah. So, yeah, it's good stuff. There'll be a link to Cavaliers, Cavaliers of Mars uh, if you're interested in it in the show notes. And uh, I want to talk about the Damsel Messiah a little bit. Um, Rose emailed me because the Damsel Messiah was actually originally in the Dictionary of Moo. Uh, and I will read you about her. I'll read you her section. 
and from the dictionary of Mu. Uh, when she was but a girl, her wet nurse lost track of her in the market of Bethlehem. She was found at the High Warlock's Coven, correcting a protective pentacle meant to safeguard the city from powerful and evil spirits. She was no older than eleven, and when she was no older than eleven, an elder spirit took her to Olamon, the top of the world where the primordial gods were born and made their first dances. She was shown all of the kingdoms of Mard and was offered the rulership of them all if she would only eat infernal fruit and know many terrible truths. She turned the spirit down and bound him quickly. He serves her still. None know if she ever bit the serpent's fruit. Her first decree as ruler of High Brazil was crucifying the moneylenders who did their business in the many temples of Bethlehem and Yeru. She breaks bread with whores and lepers, and so she hears the news of her empire. To those who live in High Brazil, she is the way and the light in dark, pathless times. Her apostles are the generals, diplomats, and courtiers of her armies of warrior priests. She, using the combined wisdom of these prophets and madmen, she insinuates herself into many a tribe and nation's messianic lore and brings more and more desperate Mardians to her fold every day. Uh, yeah, good stuff. Uh, and the note, the little note on her says, there are worse ways to follow than her holy route, but mayhap there are much better. Like many entries herein, Ogma is conflicted. Your dictionarist saw her speak on a barren Golgotha mount. She gave a rousing speech while her followers crucified her gently. Ogma was moved. Ogma was inspired. Ogma returned home filled with unfamiliar thoughts. Uh, yeah, it's good. Uh, I'm glad, I'm, I'm touched and honored that uh, Rose included it in Cavaliers of Mars. She emailed me and asked permission. I said, absolutely. Uh, I am excited that the Damsel Messiah has spread. It's like her religion has spread to a new incarnation of Mars. How cool is that? That's the coolest thing I know. And I, I wanted to make a character who, who was going to uh, track down the Damsel Messiah. And, and I did. Uh, modeled after D'Artagnan, kind of coming to join the Musketeers and, and come to Paris broke and... It was cool. It was super fast to do, and it took me like 10 minutes. I mean, I, I had to page flip a little bit, but it was 10 minutes. Uh, I did it while watching Voltron, for God's sakes, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, and it was, yeah, I like it. I like the idea of a, a young man who learned to do, you know, use, use, the, use the sword from his mother, who was a, a warrior nun, and uh, travels all across this wasteland to... Uh, the pledge, the pledge to the, the Damsel Messiah. And I suppose it'd be, this is a good time to talk about how the Damsel Messiah was born. Uh, a friend of, uh, way back when I was in undergrad, I mean, 20 years ago, uh, I met a friend of a friend, like a, a grad student buddy of a friend of mine, and she talked about being in Tibet, and the monks were there to welcome... Uh, a friend who was being reborn uh, in this house. And they stayed for the birth and a girl was born. So they went to the next house where a boy was born and they welcomed that person. And that person was their friend. And of course, it I mean, it just makes you mad because it's sexist and it's kind of awful. But it also, the, I think the thing that makes me most sad in the world is like somehow being separated from your friends uh, and being isolated. And so the idea that there's this little girl who's waiting for her friends to, 
you know, if you take that at face value uh, and, and you believe in, you know, reincarnation or any of that kind of thing, even if you just think about it as a story, it's just a sad story to me, you know, that, that there, that it's because it's a lovely idea to, to, you know, have a friend pass away and then be able to read signs and find them again and welcome them back into the world and be their mentor as they, as they, as they grow and you grow old. Uh, I just love that idea. But the idea that there's someone who's like, yeah, I'm waiting for my friends to show up and they never showed. Uh, it's like, it's like being stood up in the, in the most terrible way possible. So that's how the damsel Messiah was born. I took that and I mixed it up with the Bible and, uh, I made a, I made a good, pretty mess and Rose liked it and included it in her amazing, uh, swashbuckling science fantasy version of Mars. And I'm honored to, to, that the damsel has, has spread her word across into another version of Mars. I'm, I'm honored that Rose would include that. And, uh, cause she is an amazing game designer and a formidable, uh, imagination and, uh, I'm honored. So that's where, that's what the inspiration group brought me today. Brought me Cavaliers of Mars, and I, I wanted to make a character, and I forgot it last week. So here we are. I did it this week. Uh, the show is going to come out about a day late because of just holiday nonsense. But I got it out to you. I hope your holidays are going well. I hope your inspiration goat is bleeding loudly. And I'll. I don't know if I'll talk to you Wednesday because I don't know if I'm going to get any responses. But if I don't, then I'll definitely talk to you next week. I'll talk to you next Sunday. Be well. The year's almost over. We're going we're gonna to make it through, and we'll make improvements for next year. Sound good? Cool. I'm reflecting, thinking about it, thinking about what went well this year, what didn't, how I want to change things. And uh, this year's going to be a year of big, big changes for me, uh, and I'll, I'll clue you all in on that as it, as it happens, but it's, it's exciting, exciting and good changes. So I am, I'm looking forward to the next year and, and I hope you are too. And I'll, I'll see you along the way. All right. Have a good one.